I'm Maureen Atura, and you're listening to the Positive Fantastic Podcast. Today's episode honors the North American beaver in all its ecological keystone species glory. I chatted with Kate Lundquist, foremost beaver advocate in my neck of the woods, which are fed by the Russian River watershed, about how amazing beavers are, why we need them in our ecosystems, and the ways that new technology is helping create good relations between the humans and the beavers. Kate shares about the ways that beaver are amazing creatures in their own right, and also about the very real role they play in helping to restore our ecosystems to help support, particularly, sustainable water stewardship. Kate has been working diligently for many years to help bridge the worlds between beaver habitats and governmental organizations around how beavers are treated. This is a happy story, my friends, with good news, very good news. Beavers are becoming more protected, recognized for their contributions, and their numbers are steadily coming back from the brink after they were nearly wiped out for their very soft pelts. Additionally, Kate and folks like her have been able to create very clever ways to help farmers and landowners to work with, not against, their local beavers, so that successful coexistence is not only possible, but it is the way of the future. I have to say that while it's never a good idea to pick favorites, I have been telling anybody who would listen that I was going to record a beaver podcast for the last several months. And although we managed to record an entire episode without a single raunchy beaver joke, much to my dismay, don't fret my naturalist ears, we do talk extensively about beaver anal secretions and how to sex a beaver. So there's that that I can offer you as you listen in for the next hour. It was fun to joke with Kate about the future of beavers and how, when people realize how amazingly useful these animals are to an ecosystem, that they are going to be beaver matchmaking sites to help rehome beavers from areas where they are wreaking havoc to the areas where people desperately want them. She's already been getting a lot of text messages that make her feel like a beaver broker of sorts, and Kate is wondering, as a consequence of the state of California protecting these creatures more, we will see a kind of beaver tinder, if you will, double entendre and quippiness intended. By the end of the episode, I think you'll become a beaver believer, an ally and an advocate for the Bring Back the Beaver movement. Mother in the raindrops, father in the trees, mother in the moonbeams, Father in the galaxies ooh, 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 ooh. Mother in the roots Father in the stars Mother in the rivers, Father in everything that's far. Deep, deep, deep in love. Deep, deep in love, we are family. 
Mother in the mountains, Father in the sky, Mother in the flowers, and in all creatures that fly. Mother in volcanoes, father in the air, mother and father out today at the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center with Kate Lundquist in her 
Beaver Domain. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks so much. So glad to have you here. Yay. And so you're in a yurt office that has everything about beavers you could possibly imagine. This is true. This is true. It's We've been doing beaver restoration for over a decade now, and all of our friends and loved ones love to bestow us with all things beaver. Yay. So we have homemade quilts on the wall. Mm. We have beautiful books and inlaid wood carvings with beaver, beaver, beaver. And beaver books are plenty. Beaver books and beaver chewed sticks, beaver stuffed animals. We got it all. We got it all. Beavers. So Kate and I met at the Western Women's Trekking Conference, and I think that from there we've just kind of been in contact. And I remember you sharing about some of your background and growing up riding horseback on the beaches of Santa Cruz. And I had just gotten out of college in Santa Cruz, and I was like, wow, who's this amazing woman? So over the years, we've we've been in mutual circles, and I've always lovingly referred to you as the beaver lady <laughs> since then, too, which I'm sure you get from a lot of angles. So yeah, so today we're going to talk about all things beaver. Wonderful. So Kate, how did you start this beaver odyssey? You know, what what branch of beaverness were you first chewing on? <laughs> Great question. Well, I have always been a nature lover growing up in the foothills of Santa Cruz County and just, yeah, being just that kid that was always outside, staying out late, getting dirty, catching lizards, frogs, yeah, yeah. snakes, <laughs> had every pet under the sun, you know, that my parents would allow me. And so that really just set me up for this huge appreciation for the natural world and mm. wild spaces. Young naturalist. Yeah. 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 And so that set me on a whole life journey of just making sure that that was a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. And fast forward until the 2000s, and I was really interested in the time at ecological design and building. I was doing some building and was doing actually a lot of natural building or wanting to do more natural building. And I came to the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center. Yeah, nice. And they were doing a workshop. This was in 1998, actually. And um, I just knew right then I had to be in Sonoma County. I had to be working with this community. I had to be learning all I could about ecology and how it applies to design and making things because I was a lifelong maker. My parents are artists mm. and educators. And so it set me up for this amazing next phase of my life where I got to basically just dive right in and start learning permaculture and really start thinking about how we interact with our watersheds and what impacts those have on a watershed scale, not mm. just on my house and my health and my community and family, but the whole watershed community right. and all beings that live and all processes that occur in a watershed. And so by some great fortune and conspiring of the, the spirits, I got to start working here and work and join what was just founded, uh, one of the programs at the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center uh, that got founded in 2004 was the Water Institute, mm. which stands for Watershed Advocacy, Training, Education, and Research. Mm, and it's an acronym. It is an acronym. <laughs> That's why it's always in all capital letters. Uh -huh. And 
uh, working with uh, my colleague and good friend, Brock Dolman, we were really focusing on how to increase people's ecological literacy in the context of watersheds mm -hmm. and really focusing on all the different processes and the different species that exist in our watersheds and here on the, this particular watershed, which is the Dutch Bill Creek watershed in the south part of the Russian River, we have a species that has been really in big trouble, which is our native coho salmon. Mm -hmm. Huge decline. Right. Yeah. And they are such an important keystone species for our watersheds because they bring all the marine nutrients in to our hungry soils. And without them, we wouldn't get those marine nutrients. And so really just focusing, having that kind of be the species that we were rallying around with mm -hmm. our watershed work, trying to do all this different outreach and education, get folks really understanding how we can be better watershed citizens and support our salmon and thus support everyone else and all the different beings in our watersheds. And, you know, everyone was like pulling out all the stops, getting really creative about all these different restoration solutions. You know, we got to like make sure we keep the sediment out of their spawning gravels. We have to make sure that we conserve our water and do roof water catchment and gray water and composting toilets and all the different ways that we can be better humans and better, savvy. Yeah, yeah. be better neighbors to our, our uh, non-human kin. And one of the partners out there in salmon restoration that has been traditionally overlooked in California, in particular in the last 10 years, is the beaver. The humble, the lady. humble, beautiful, fuzzy, flat-tailed, webfoot, womp womp beaver. <laughs> <laughs> so we have colleagues and friends that are up in Washington and Oregon who had been doing studies for many years and really looking at the relationship between beaver and fish, in particular fish in the salmon family, mm -hmm. coho salmon, steelhead, trout, all the different salmon citizens and it turns out beaver and the habitat modifications that they make create really great homes and conditions for salmon to thrive in and to survive so that they can get big and fat and get out to the ocean and do their amazing trek and journey where they eat all the different marine foods out there and turn into huge salmon and come back to spawn and nourish the people and the soil and all the other critters that feed on those spawning salmon. So we were noticing that in California, people were not really talking about beaver. Mm -hmm. And this was about 15 years ago that, that we really started noticing this, you know, Brock calls it the beaver blind spot. Mm -hmm. So we just were like, what's up, Let's California? Shine the light in there. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. We got to uplift our beaver yeah. in many ways. Right. So we started bringing our friends down to talk to the salmon restoration community and show up at conferences and give different presentations. And we noticed that there was still this interesting resistance going on in California because California has some outdated reports and studies that basically determined based on very little data that beaver were not native to anywhere on the coast or anywhere above a thousand feet in the Sierra, the Cascades, mm. and nowhere in Southern California. 
they were only native in a little thin strip in the Central Valley and the Colorado River and up in the Klamath Trinity area. And what that ended up doing is uh, inspiring people basically to treat them like non-native nuisances. Mm. And so Beaver needed a champion. Mm -hmm. And we decided to take that on. To be the beaver champion. To just like champion beaver, why not? Yeah. And it's it's amazing. We've you know, we started our bring back the beaver campaign in two thousand and twelve, ten years ago. We mm -hmm. officially launched it and really just wanting to focus on outreach and education and making sure that we did demonstration of how you can do beaver restoration and coexistence, and then ultimately changing the rules for how we um, manage our beaver. So mm -hmm. that's been the journey that we've been on for the last 10 years. It's been super fun and exciting, and I'm really just a humble partner and student to the beaver clan and all of the lessons that they have to teach us on how to be good keystone species because mm -hmm. we too modify habitat significantly we like sure the do. beaver do although we tend to be more degenerative disturbers yeah. whereas beaver can be really regenerative disturbers mm -hmm. so i'm really a student of beaver and trying to make sure that i study up and and take cues from them on on how to be a good watershed citizen awesome Today's PSA is about beaver advocacy. So you're actually doing a lot of different beaver awareness things and the message is out there, but you need people who are kind of hands on deck, who are willing to go out into the habitats and track and make sure that the beavers are, are doing well. And, and also uh, another piece is to, to handle situations where maybe people are wanting to remove beavers. Like you said, that antiquated knowledge uh, or idea of beavers as problematic. So maybe some re-education and kind of people that are involved in advocating for the beaver's presence, because ultimately they're really needed. We need the beavers to be here. We not only need them, but we need to like help their numbers increase because we have had this major beaver population decline over the course of modern history, right? <laughs> and so do you want to speak a little bit about that and what, what you would like to see happen? I'd love to. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people don't even know that we have beaver first and foremost. And so really the education and outreach piece is key. One, they're here. Two, they are native. And three, they can do amazing things if we give them the space. Mm -hmm. And four, if they are making modifications that are damaging our property or roads or things, infrastructure, we have a bunch of solutions available for people to utilize and resources to help them do that. Beaver Conflict Resolution. That's right. <laughs> beaver Conflict Resolution 101. Awesome. So beaver, let's just give a little kind of background on yeah. beaver ecology and how they do their amazing things. Yeah. So they're rodent, mm -hmm. largest rodent in North America, second largest rodent in the world, second to... Capybara. Uh, that was going to be my guess. Uh, <laughs> I should have let you guess. So we have this amazing large rodent that used to cover 10% of the landmass of North America with their engineered wetlands that they created, maintained, expanded, contracted. Just doing what they do. Doing what they do. Yeah. So 
beaver, they can be quite large. They can get up to 80 pounds. Oh, that is And big. they live in colonies, so there can be a lot of them, mm -hmm. up to 10 of them. They only breed once a year and have a small batch of kids, not all of which survive. So mm -hmm. they're not like the typical, like, oh, my goodness, they're, they're, like rabbits. they're rabbits. They're going to keep breeding. <laughs> they have a much slower period of reproduction, in part because the beaver kits all stick around until they're three years old. So they work as a family. Mm -hmm. And they're tasty. They're a hundred percent protein, all muscle, mm -hmm. and then they have a really fatty tail. And so everybody and their brother wants to get a hold of a beaver and just in have the wild them for world. dinner. Yes. And <laughs> therefore, you know, humans as well have wanted to trap them for their food and for their pelts. This yeah. is why they were nearly they have you know, really amazing pelts. Yeah, they yeah. were nearly extirpated because their pelts make the perfect felt for hats. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, you can get a 100% beaver felt hat, mm -hmm. which are quite costly now. But back in the day, all hats were, you know, made of beaver felt. Mm -hmm. And this is what financed the expansion of the European settler colonialistic paradigm. Is beaver know. pelts? Beaver pelts. Well, it was, yeah. yeah, colonialism was founded and funded by the death of beaver yeah. and the death of our indigenous yes. folk as well. And so those two in concert, losing the tenders of the wild, our indigenous folks, and then the beaver who are managing the wetlands, hugely catastrophic to our landscapes across North America. Right. They're only native to, North American beaver is only native to North America. They're in Canada, North America, uh, US, and a little bit in Mexico. So. Super tasty. So they are trying to avoid being preyed upon. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they want deep water to swim in and to farm their food. So they they only eat vegetation. They are Veggies. not. They're vegetarians. They're vegetarians. They eat bark. They eat leaves. They eat roots. They eat bulbs. That's why they have those prominent teeth. They have those big teeth. <laughs> and with that big body and all the work that they're doing, they got to eat a lot of vegetation. Yeah. And so what they do is they find either an existing deep water body, a pond, a lake, California's aqueducts and waterways, you know, <laughs> reservoirs, right. you name yes. it. Anything with standing water that in they, a pinch. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. they can live in and find food using that water. And if they can't get to food, they'll dig canals and they create these incredible wetland complexes that are broad and vast if they have the space and the mm -hmm. vegetation to do it. And this is fantastic because 80% of our biodiversity relies on wetlands in California. And we need to preserve the remaining. 10 to 5 percent that we still have. I was going to say, and like 80 percent of yes. our issue has been the removal of wetlands. Exactly. So, so California used to be covered in wetlands. Right. The settlers came and did what they did in Europe, which is, oh, this is great soil. All we have to do is figure out how to drain it. Mm -hmm. So they killed off the beaver, drained the soil, and started farming it. They even got paid for it and given tons of land for it. So mm -hmm. there's huge incentives to convert wetlands to farmlands, mm -hmm. which we still see to this day in California. So we want to make sure that where we can still have wetlands and where we can still have beer influence, that we allow them to, to you know, have that influence on the landscape. And so, especially in terms of looking at the changes that have happened as a result of that, right? So like we've removed wetlands and beavers, and now we have massive droughts and weird climate freak things that are 
unprecedented. And so, so much of the call of action for humans has been to slow it, sink it, spread it when it comes to water, right? It's like, and what do beavers do? <laughs> they make wetlands, you know? It's Absolutely. So they're like a synergistic species in terms of if we could really embrace beavers, we could benefit ourselves too, which is kind of unfortunately so much of the human motivation is like is it good for us and it's like yes actually beavers are great for us because we need to save our ecosystems to survive <laughs> we're Absolutely. at that stage of the game last i checked we all need water yeah we totally and do. beaver really helps store water and so yeah. in places where they don't have existing you know in those places where there's existing water they'll mm -hmm. dig bank burrows and they'll cause all this disturbance on the shores and create these successional uh, processes where different trees are at different heights and it creates different kinds of habitat for all the different kinds of birds and and small mammals and on and on right. and on. So they create a lot of diversity in the habitat that they interact with. And then when they show up on creeks and rivers where the flow is slow enough to allow them to do this and they want more deep water, they'll start building dams. Mm -hmm. And those dams really help to slow the water down, not like a human dam. They don't no. have the same catastrophic effect of just completely killing the river. They are lots or of- making it inaccessible to the salmon population. Exactly. To back to them. Or creating something where you have all the sediment filling up and you get this weird temperature differential between the top and the bottom. And there's all, the human dams are highly problematic. The beaver right. dams- And huge. Yes. Beaver dams Expensive <laughs> and aging and yeah. basically becoming deadbeat dams. They are no yeah. longer functioning like they used to and they Correct. need to be removed. Thank goodness the Klamath dams are coming down. Yay. Hooray, 2024. So beavers, they do a lot of decentralized distribution of water where they do lots of small dams and they have dam complexes. And these complexes have uh, access, they help get the water back onto the floodplain. The dams themselves trap sediment, so they help clean the water, they improve the water quality, they increase the storage capacity of that area of the waterway, and so it can increase the water quantity. Huge, right? And then provide all of this habitat. They sequester carbon, and now research is showing that they create these buffers and barriers to fire wildfire mm. and drought in particular, mm -hmm. right? So they're creating these fire breaks. Where the beaver wetlands are, the fire can stop and give a little refuge. And there's video of bears that survive fires in beaver wetlands yeah. and humans could be doing the same. Yeah. And so for areas that are super affected by climate change, drought and wildfire, which is California. basically <laughs> all of the arid west, yeah. We really would be wise to be partnering with our beaver, allowing them to stay on the landscape, give them space to do what they do well, because they do it way better than we do it, mm -hmm. and then figuring out ways to coexist with them in places where there's a little bit more potential conflict. Friction. Yeah. 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 So those are all the benefits of beaver. They you know, create all of these benefits. And so we have all these solutions and it's not that hard. So in places where we don't want them cutting down our vegetation, we can wrap the vegetation with sturdy welded wire. Don't use chicken wire, please. It doesn't work. Beaver are heavy and they can just <laughs> lean that thing right over and get to what they want. Uh -huh. So sturdy welded wire around our, our select plantings, or you can do hot wire around bigger groups yeah. of plantings 
in places where beaver are blocking coverts, which is very common. They love to do that because for them, a covert is just a hole in a dam that all they have to do is plug and it, the water will get deeper. Yeah, right. And so they're like, thanks. Yes, you've done most of the work. We just You just forgot this one spot. Yeah. <laughs> so you can build what's called a trapezoidal fence that increases the it basically blocks access to the culvert for the beaver for the beaver and they give up because the water flows over the fence and they can't block the fence enough to actually make it function as a dam like let's move on guys yeah they're smart they're you know equal they're 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 engineers they're they're realizing it's not a thing they they are not going to waste their precious uh, vegetarian calories that they work hard (laughs) to get Right. right yeah and so and then another common complaint is flooding you know, if they build a dam in a place, they like to flood. They are intentionally mm-hmm. flooding because mm-hmm. it supports them in having deeper water, yeah. but it also waters the plants that they love to eat. They yeah. love willows, cottonwoods, all of those in the poplar family mm-hmm. are, are super big favorites of beaver, but they also are farming grass. They're farming, they're farmers. Mm-hmm. They need to eat. And so they're just like basically creating these different waterways to rehydrate the landscape, to produce, to become more productive so they have more food. Right. And so there are several cases where this is actually a problem for humans, especially because we've allowed everyone to build in the floodplains, yeah. to bl- build right up against our riparian corridors, and to build in lowlands where you know we stole from the beaver in the first place, and now they're coming back and trying to reclaim them. They're like, hey, hey, <laughs> this looks like a good spot. Yeah. So in those cases, we we have a creative solution. Thank you me. can actually put what's called a flexible pond leveler device. Don't worry if you don't remember that. But it's basically putting a pipe through the dam and you set the water level height yourself and the beaver they can't figure it out of why mm. as much as they build the, the water isn't getting higher uh-huh. so they give up literally within a day they'll give up and so it drains back to that level but you keep it at the level so the beaver will stay there so you can get mm-hmm. all the benefits right it's like watchable wildlife for free right, right. you get a quad you know migratory birds coming in and all yeah. these different species it's so much fun to hang out on a beaver pond if you haven't i highly recommend it mm-hmm. so we have these devices it's on my bucket list <laughs> indeed well i'm happy to share some great places to go that are publicly accessible awesome yeah before we end and then once we have a new device too that's really good for people who manage wetlands and mm. rice fields right. and duck clubs, which a lot of the particularly northern Central Valley is full of. Mm. And they are not having a good time with beaver because they're blocking there. They have these concrete weirs that convey water from one pond to another mm-hmm. that beavers block daily. Mm. So right now there are hundreds of people out there every day going out and unblocking these weirs. And it's just frustrating. And so you can see why people are killing beaver in the Central mm. Valley. And, you know, it's frustrating. I get it. So thankfully, our partners at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Sutter National Wildlife Refuge came up with this piece of metal that you can slide into the the weir and basically put a pipe on it and the beaver can't block it anymore game changer so we are working on that right now with our central valley we put one in at a private duck club and with our fish and wildlife service refuge partners and when those are ready to daylight to the public we want everyone to tell everyone about these 
devices, that and all the other strategies I'm talking about, because, yeah. you know, a lot of land managers inherited their, their grandfather, grandmother's management practices. Mm -hmm. Oh no, kill beaver. Don't let them do anything here. You know, just like nip that problem off at the bud mm -hmm. is a lot of the knee jerk reaction that a lot of people resort to, mm -hmm. but they didn't realize back then that there were all of these strategies, which have been more you know, recently developed in the last couple of decades. And so that's where we have a new moment. Let's yes. make sure everyone knows that we have coexistence strategies and we there's ways we can fund people to get these employed. And we are starting, you know, there are folks that are training to learn how to do these awesome. installations. So there's hope. And so, yeah, really my PSA is if everyone can just make sure that one, start paying attention to beaver. Do you have beaver in your watershed? Do you know where they are? If you don't, start asking around and go look for them. And if it's on public land and if you can get or get permission, go check them out and see mm -hmm. what they're doing. Mm -hmm. We need beaver keepers because right now we have no idea how many beaver we have in California or where they all are oh, wow. and how are they doing. Right. So thankfully in 2019, a law was passed to stop recreational trapping of all mammals with fur, beaver included. So that's helped cap at least that source of, of mm -hmm. beaver killing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not against trapping beaver. It's just we need to know more about what's happening with our population before we can decide right. how, how are we doing? Do we have enough beaver that we can even trap? Because up until that point, no bag limit. You could just kill as many beavers you mm. wanted in the 42 of the 58 counties that allowed it in California. So that's a good step for now. We're going to hopefully stabilize our beaver populations, but still two to 3,000 beaver are being killed every year in California just because people have conflicts with them. Right. And they're not required to mitigate or try to resolve those conflicts through yet. coexistence yet. And we're working on that. Yeah. So so that's why we really want all eyes out on our beaver colonies and mm -hmm. just we need people to just adopt their local beaver colony. And that doesn't mean you got to move in with them or like, <laughs> you know, be super invasive or whatever. It's just like, just Observe. keep tabs. Yeah. You know, where are they? How are they doing? Turn it into a school project. Yeah. You know, have your neighborhood, you know, get invested in these beaver so that when it's not if it's when because beaver create disturbance. Right when there's a beaver disturbance that possibly is affecting a landowner in a way they don't like, y'all can just rush in and be like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, here, how can we help? We have resources. We know yeah. someone who can do this and we have money that we can even help you do this with. Yeah. And you know, just, we wanna love people up and resource yeah. landowners that are having issues. Totally. Because really, we all benefit from having more water. And thankfully we're getting more non-traditional stakeholders like the ranchers and even row crop ag you know rice growers where they're right. like huh okay i see having more beer on the landscape can be a good thing and so we can do our part to coexist and just make sure that we can take care of our property and our needs and actually receive benefits especially like think about it cattle they need a lot of water yeah so Eat grass. Right. Eat grass. So if yeah. we can keep those beaver and keep the ranchers happy and be, you know, give make sure that their cattle have water and more forage, then it's a win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win. 
for everybody. everybody. So that's what we're looking for. And we really want folks to just get more educated about Beaver and, and to, you know, you don't have to all pile on and, you know, everyone finds their, their, you know, species that they love to tune into. And it'd be great if we got more and more people tuning into Beaver and, mm -hmm. and just, you know, there's an amazing woman in Fairfield, for example, on Laurel Creek. It's, it's a suburb, right? Uh, south of Sacramento. And the beaver have set up shop there. And during COVID, she noticed what they were doing and started tracking them and just made it her project with her kids. And her sister's an artist, and they created a whole walking tour map of the Laurel Creek beavers mm. with this one, this walk will take you half an hour and there are two beaver dams that you can come see. This walk is gonna include two sections of the river and it'll take an hour, et cetera. And so if you look up the Laurel Creek beavers online, you'll see all the amazing work that they are doing. And that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about mm -hmm. where it's like, oh my goodness, people, we have so many opportunities to interact with the natural world and in cities and in suburbs, the Martinez beavers, right? full-on city yeah we have all of these these amazing opportunities so i'm really excited about supporting people in tuning into nature and beavers are a great conduit because they're what we call a keystone species mm -hmm. and so what they do to take care of themselves disproportionately benefits everyone around them and we get all of these other species especially endangered species showing up and benefiting from the beaver and so by protecting and taking care of and just making sure that our beaver are doing okay, then we're also making sure that our salmon are doing okay, our red-legged frogs are doing okay, our Sierra Nevada willow flycatcher, our yellow-legged mountain frogs. You know, we have so many different species that are really dependent on the kind of habitat that beaver create mm -hmm. and manage, and and they're doing not so well in california so it's an extra added bonus if we can take care of a species that will then take care of all these other species Fantastic. so yeah so that's my big psa Yay. if someone wanted to know the most fun beaver fact <laughs> what would be your personal favorite today i know any day you're going to probably have a different one but Oof. that you can tell what sex they are by expressing oil from one of their anal glands <laughs> and it's raspberry flavor too is that a thing like so beaver have a couple of excretions going on a few actually. from their anal glands well beaver being an aquatic species uh -huh. they need to keep all the business inside so they have yes. a cloaca okay like, like a, a chicken. chicken exactly unexpected unexpected <laughs> beaver cloaca and so what they they mark their territory through scent and that's how they establish territory okay and they have castoreum glands that concentrate all of the plant chemistry that they're eating. And these glands then are what they use to excrete a scent. Mm. And that gland traditionally was used both for perfume, still is to this day, 
it has a very, it depends on where the beaver are and what they're eating, but very kind of base note, musky, super interesting smell. I actually have some lure I can pull out for you to smell if you're so brave. <laughs> well, just have you out there in podcast land, we'll just have to imagine. <laughs> so that gland was also traditionally used for medicine mm. because beaver, for the herbalists out there, they eat a lot of willow and willow has salicins in right. it. And so yes. these castorium glands are concentrated in salicins. And so you can then take that castorium, dry it, grind it and use it as a medicinal. It's like a painkiller. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yep. Anything that aspirin is used for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these days, yes, castorium is still used for perfumes and for a base of artificial flavoring. Right. Yep. That's been the joke in my family for years. <laughs> yes. Vanilla, raspberry, I don't know. There's I think several raspberry is popular. Different heard, flavors yeah. that have come from beaver castorium. So, not vegan. No, not at the all. The beavers may be vegan. That's right. The beavers are vegan, but, <laughs> but their anal secretion glands are not. No, no. So, then the anal secretion gland is a different, it's an oil that they express and they use that to groom themselves and waterproof their coat. Mm -hmm. And because they're semi-aquatic, they yeah. spend a lot of time that in the water. Sense. They need to have a really robust protection. Yeah, protection to stay mm -hmm. warm, especially those living in more wintry climes. And deep pools. That's get cool. Right, exactly. And so, however, um, a s couple of scientists discovered, so it's really hard to tell what sex a beaver is because their genitalia are also inside the mm -hmm. cloaca. Mm -hmm. The the male beavers actually have a penis bone, a baculum, but even that you can't, it's hard to palpate. And so, um, however, we're not recommending. This. No, no, we're not recommending this, but it's so fascinating because when you are doing beaver restoration, mm -hmm. sometimes it is called for to move some beaver, especially if there are places, you know, we want to rewild them to places where they have right. been extirpated or there are places where the, the beaver have three strikes and we want to move them somewhere else where they will be welcomed, yes. which to date has not been happening in California. It's been happening everywhere else in the arid West, but we just got a new beaver restoration program just this June. Off the so <laughs> exciting. I'll talk more about that. And that will in fact allow for beaver relocation. Back to awesome. the anal oil. Yes. <laughs> Some scientists figured out that if you do have a beaver in captivity and you want to test for its gender, rather than taking a hair sample and then sending it to a lab and getting a DNA test, which is time consuming mm -hmm. and costly, you can literally put the beaver very gently. They actually go in willingly into a beaver bag. I've got one right there. And you base it's like a big glorified uh, pastry tube. And you palpate the beaver, you find the beaver's anal gland and you just express a little tiny drop. And if it is thin and white and smells like blue cheese, what gender do you think that is? I'm going to say that's a girl. You got it. <laughs> that's a beaver beaver. <laughs> you got it. And then the males have a more dark, viscous motor oil smelling. Motor oil. Yeah. And it's 99.9% .9 accurate. Interesting. It's amazing. <laughs> so that's totally changed the beaver world and how to like, how do we 
You make just sure get a tube we, and your beaver palpates that's out right. of them. You do have to live trap them and then have them go from the trap into the tube. And this is only for people who are doing... Three ecologists. Yes, yeah. who are doing beaver handling for, you know, either trying to rescue a beaver yes. and, you know, make sure it's okay, you know, like our animal wildlife rescue organizations and then scientists or restorationists who are actually doing fever moving, mm-hmm. which I've had the great pleasure of doing. This is how I got to find this out. Uh-huh. In Washington and Colorado, I've gotten to move beaver, which is quite the adventure. So that's a pretty fun fact. But I will say that beaver are so adapted to water that they have built in swim fins on the back, right? They have hey. flipper web toes in the back, mm-hmm. they have a clear membrane beneath their eyelid that comes down and gives them goggles so wow. they can swim underwater with goggles and still see. Right, because you need to be able to create and engineer these world habitats. Exactly. And they have underwater entrances. They have to know where they're yes. going, yes. you know, and they're built eyes in goggles. That's built cool. In goggles. Hello. Hello. They have a split toenail on their back foot their little ring toe of their back foot that they use as comb for grooming and Mm. spreading the anal oil through their coat Mm -hmm. to distribute it evenly built-in comb built-in comb and and oil hello (laughs) exactly conditioner Conditioner, right and then they exactly then they have a special flap in the back of their throat that allows them to close their throat but keep their mouth open and around a branch while they swim around underwater oh yeah so no drowning you can swim around with stuff in your mouth underwater for those people who just can't resist chewing on things uh-huh. for the orally fixated this is a superpower <laughs> yeah, right yeah so those are some of my favorites those they're, are fantastic they're, yeah, fun facts they're very well adapted to to the water and they're just they have this amazing ability to just dig build and cut down trees. They have teeth that are self-sharpening. They have to chew basically on wood to keep them sharp because the teeth keep growing for their entire life. Those teeth are like chisel sharp and that's where they get the ability to chew down massive trees, peel off bark, snip limbs, grab they mow grass they are big grass eaters people are like no they just eat trees nope they're they they're like the you know california cuisine we want to eat (laughs) seasonal local we're gonna do the fresh greens are ready right now we're just going for those (laughs) and then you know winter they have to you know eat more bark Mm -hmm. and whatnot Mm -hmm. but yeah no it's they're they're an amazing critter do a cleanse a bark cleanse exactly Definitely do a lot of those spring grains, which is super cool. So, yeah, they have a lot of amazing adaptations. And, you know, they've been around for quite a while, millions of years. And they've been at this a lot longer than we have. And so this is, again, why I am forever a student of beaver. Tipping our hats to beaver. Absolutely. They've got it down. And they work together as a colony and really Mm -hmm. train one another. They stick with their young and Mm -hmm. train them up. Attachment parents. Yes. And they're very social and groom one another. They spend a lot of time in the lodge, right? So they're Mm -hmm. there usually in the day sleeping and then out at night doing all their foraging and felling and building. And the lodge is is like underwater entrance usually, but then they have area. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So they have to be, they, 
they don't live in the water. They right. just right. move. And, and so they have to create a lodge, either a bank burrow, mm -hmm. which is just on the side of a creek or mm -hmm. a pond, uh, where they excavate out a big hole big enough to fit a family of up to 10 a crew. beaver. Yeah. So it's got to be crew. big, yeah. right? And often they'll do it under a tree. Mm -hmm. So the tree roots will kind of provide um, support mm -hmm. so it won't collapse. Right. And so they dig out under roots. And um, and then sometimes you'll see on those bank burrows, they'll actually still pile sticks on top just to further just fortify. For <laughs> because again, things are after them and bears yes, will dig yes. in and get them. Right. You know, cats are very much mm -hmm. a fan of mm -hmm. beaver. Mountain lions are just notorious for killing off beaver. But in cases where you have a pond or a bigger, broader, slower, stiller body of water, mm -hmm. lakes, certain drainages that are just really wide and marshy, they will build a freestanding lodge mm -hmm. that just is in the water itself. Mm -hmm. And they'll build the big base and then it'll just be a big cone of sticks. And some of them, I've, I've snorkeled around a lodge up oh, in cool. the Sierra that was 30 feet across the base. It oh my was gosh. huge. And then it came up, probably the mansion. whole thing was like 20 feet tall. It was amazing. Wow. Old growth lodge. They've been working on it for a long time. Yeah. And they pass it down to their you know children and whatnot. Totally. But yeah, so they have chamber. In some cases, their lodges will have like separate chambers. One, you know, where they're like sleeping and birthing and the other where they're eating. Mm. And so, yeah, they spend a lot of time, especially in places where there it's much more wintry mm -hmm. and there isn't as such good foraging what they'll do there is they'll just stash a bunch of branches at the bottom of Larder. the pond yeah, yeah. they yeah. basically have to create a pantry yeah. for the winter and then swim down and get it and bring it back up into the lodge to eat it wow. over the winter while it's totally snowing out and you can see great footage online there's all kinds of film of of beavers in their lodges and mm. the kids playing around Aww. and fighting over sticks <laughs> and it's super adorable they're they're definitely they're yeah super fun so yeah beavers have a lot of amazing adaptations and so what about their tails? Beavers have these very iconic tails. Can they you speak to that? do have amazing tails. So yeah, their tails are quite fatty. That's where they store most of their fat, oh, wow, which yeah. is part of why they were such a delicacy, you know, because in fact, the church in Europe declared beaver to be a fish so you could eat them during Lent which is kind of hilarious. They are not a fish. They are a semi-aquatic. Yeah. They are a rodent. And yes, they do spend a lot of time in the water, but they actually sleep uh, in dry earth. They breathe in a burrow yeah. and they breathe air. Yes, yeah. it's true. Anyway, so yeah, their tails are super cool. So that's where they store all their fat. And it's also their radiator. So they have these mm. thick, fur coats mm -hmm. right and when it starts to heat up it's like oh boy how are we going to dump body heat and so that tail is capable of just basically radiating the heat out of their body so they use that to help regulate their body temperature mm -hmm. super cool they use it for propelling themselves <laughs> yeah they propel themselves so it's a big part of their swimming yes yeah right they use their tail to make themselves go forward when felling trees or chewing they often will lean on their tail so it can be kind of like a third leg support mm -hmm. for sure and they use it to signal and alarm 
Mm. And so I don't know if you've ever heard this, but for those of you who have ever gotten the chance to be out somewhere where there are beaver and you suddenly hear a it's this loud splash. It sounds like someone just threw a boulder in the water. It's the beaver tail slapping on the water surface, basically telling you, get away. You're too close, mm-hmm. but also warning the rest of the colony. Hey, hey, some Predator big predators coming. Yeah. You better, you know, be on the alert, be on the alert. So, yeah. It's the acoustic equivalent of the fire alarm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's how they alarm with their tails. Uh-huh. Super cool. Super cool. I just want to say that there are some really exciting changes happening right now in the state of California with regards to beaver. Mm. So we've been working for 10 years to try you mean the to... government's doing good things. <laughs> I love that hearing it's that. It's amazing. <laughs> I know in, in the sea of really disheartening news, there are some amazingly wonderful news happening for beaver right yeah. now in California. Super excited. So it's been a 10 year arc of really trying to get people on board with beaver mm-hmm. and particularly our state wildlife agency, the California department of fish and wildlife. And they used to just only manage beaver as something that you could hunt for recreation or as something you could kill because it was giving you trouble. Problem. Right. Yep. And we have been really trying to support the department in adopting more progressive and proactive management strategies, mm-hmm. including making sure that people exhaust coexistence techniques before they give them a permit. That process is underway. We filed a petition actually in 2019 to make sure that that would happen with the Fish and Game Commission. And then we have been in discussions since with the department of fish and wildlife about that and working on some guidance and uh, that should be coming out at some point in the near future but in the meantime all of these things started emerging where there's just been a huge momentum in the state from us and from a bunch of other advocacy organizations and from the salmon restoration community the mountain meadow restoration community and just people in general really interested in consciously working and partnering with beaver and so we started sending we started organizing these uh groups and sending letters to our natural resources agency because they're creating all of these management strategies and want nature-based solutions Mm -hmm. like hey guess what beaver is an amazing nature-based solution let's make sure that we include them and let's also include relocation because right now we haven't been able to the department can do it on their own but they haven't really been allowing folks to do it and haven't been doing it themselves in recent years so and their numbers are down so much from what their territories once were that relocation makes a lot of sense absolutely there's a lot of places where they've been extirpated so thankfully we came up in 2012 with a bunch of evidence that shows that they were in fact native to the sierra and to the coast and to southern california and published those in peer-reviewed papers and that's helping Mm -hmm. and then just lots of meetings and advocacy and then this petition and then we actually started working with a lobbyist in this last year because it was time to like turn it up to 11. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, we got to really take advantage. It's the 11th hour, yeah. Yes, take advantage of this momentum. And in the course of this last year, the department has been much more available and we've gotten to meet with them a lot more. And lo and behold, 
in first it started in April where suddenly they announced that they put all of this new information on their website that acknowledges beaver are native and that mm. they're valuable conservation species, a keystone species okay. and providing all these resources to learn more about them. That's a huge shift. That's huge. major, major props to the department for doing that. And then there was the announcement when the governor released his budget proposal in May saying that basically there's a line item in here to create a new beaver restoration program awesome. with the California, led by the California Fishing uh, Wildlife, Department of Fish and Wildlife, and five positions that would be solely focused on, you know, going through all the regs and codes and making sure that they are up to date and that they, you know, allow for beaver conservation and ultimately relocation and focusing on beaver restoration projects and relocation projects and getting folks input. Mm. And so this is a complete about face. We met with the department in 2015, just about this. We need a beaver management plan. And they're like, no way, we can't afford it. We don't have the staff. We don't have the political, you know, there's just like not the support. Mm -hmm. And so, or, you know, if you can get the support, then let's talk. And so it feels like since then the support has come through and mm -hmm. we now have the governor on board. We have Wade Crowfoot, who's the secretary, you know, leading the California Natural Resources Agency. They're really interested in beaver restoration. And we have all this great science coming out about beaver, the benefits of beaver restoration, especially as a nature-based solution to mitigate climate change, drought, and wildfire. And so we're super excited. So part of the <laughs> all those tag words, you know, it's like the buzzwords really did it. That's great though. Hey, it's whatever true. it takes. It's true. I love that. And in permaculture, you know, the problem is the solution. Here we have the beaver they thought was this maligned rodent, and now yeah. they're like, actually, the beaver's gonna save us all. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. in a small way. It, I know. They're, they're opening the door. They're are opening the door. People are hoping Beaver will be the silver bullet and save us all. They will not. <laughs> and they will really help. And yes. we just got to let them help is, yes. is the main take home. And we so, need to stop stopping them from helping. Yeah. And give yeah. them space to help yeah. and really implement the coexistence strategies. So we're really excited and we're really grateful to the, our state leaders who have finally embraced Beaver and are willing to take this step and are going to be working with them as much as they will let us to help guide. Yeah. They're going to create a whole Beaver management plan as part of the program. And we have a lot of great examples out there from other partners and states who have already done this work that we mm -hmm. really want to uh, draw from and create mm -hmm. the best beaver management plan ever so that Yay. we can just celebrate our beaver and um, make sure that we are exhausting all of our strategies before we just give up because there's yeah there are a lot of solutions out there that people just don't know about or don't have the bandwidth to follow through on and we want to make sure that we address both of those so. It's so exciting to be alive right now because I think that a lot of the values and ethics that I hold are starting to become mainstream. <laughs> and it's it's kind of a fresh breath of air, you know, to to see that there is legislation about things that I find valuable, you know, and that's so thank you for sharing that because yeah. I think that, that that's lovely. It's lovely that there's a official capacity to acknowledge this keystone species and the support that we need to give it. That's, that's really cool. 
Absolutely. And I will say one little addendum to my PSA is if you are out there and you find beaver and you are someone who is comfortable with smartphones, take pictures and post it on the iNaturalist app because that is our biggest database right now of where we're finding mm -hmm. beaver and we use it. And so, and you can blur the location if you're worried about, you don't want to out the beaver exactly where it is. There are ways to- Clandestine beaver? <laughs> yeah, just make it a little bit harder to find blurring the, the location. So if you need more help with that, you can reach out to me and I can tell you about that. Or there's lots of great tutorials online mm -hmm. for iNaturalists and mm -hmm. how to post observations. But we really want our you know beaver believers and beaver keepers out there to help us keep track of where they are. And hopefully the department ultimately will take this over and, and make that part of this program. That is certainly our hope because we would love to know where they are and how many there are and how they're doing yeah. and all of that so that we can be better allies to them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens. But boy, it's, this is like, I'm so excited when this news came through. I can't tell you. It was like, wow, okay, 10 years of work and yeah. we're finally here. This it's is a so good year amazing. to be a beaver. That's right. <laughs> it is a good year to be a beaver for sure. Thank you so much, Kate. What a totally informative and great good news edition of the podcast. I feel fantastic about everything you shared. I'm really happy. Well, I'm so happy to have the opportunity to share it with you and your audience and look forward to hearing beaver tales from anyone <laughs> who encounters them. Beaver tales from the wild. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Positive Fantastic Podcast. I'm Maureen Natura, and you can reach me by checking out my website, www.maureenatura.com. You can read about upcoming author events or sign up for my email list to stay up to date with the content that I create. If you go to www.maureenatura.com slash thepositivefantastic, you can link directly to any of the podcast episodes that have already been published and see short summaries describing each episode. I'm on social media, and you can follow me on my Facebook page, Maureen Natura Author. You can follow me on Instagram at author Maureen Natura. You can also follow my TikTok handle at Maureenatura. Check out my channel at youtube.com slash Maureenatura to see a video of Kate and the beavers of the Western U.S. For more about the beaver advocacy that Kate is doing through the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, you can go to www.oaec.org water. You can also contact her directly by sending her an email, kate at oaec.org. Special appreciation to Copper Woman for her song, Mother in the Raindrops, at the beginning of this episode. For more about Copper's music, you can visit www.copperwoman.com. This episode of The Positive Fantastic has been brought to you on the new moon, and I hope you'll join us on the next full moon for more adventures and how humans can thrive. Cheers, and may you join the ranks of those who want to bring back the beaver. <laughs>